You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. You're listening to the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast and uh, really excited here to have a uh, uh, a, f- a friend of the show, a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Greg Clifford. Um, I always refer back to uh, a kind of happenstance contact with uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other podcasts, a troupe of artists in Dublin, many of them who you've met uh, on the show, Rachel uh, Lally, Jeff Finan, uh, Emin O'Brien is on the way eventually. We got Greg Clifford here on the heels of some new music and a little bit of press going on. Greg, welcome to the show. It's been uh, a long time waiting for you to get here and we're, we're here. Welcome it's to the show. A, it's been a while, but we've landed. It's great to talk we've to you, man. Thanks so much for having me. Um, absolutely, my pleasure. Um, I know right now, uh, you know, you got you got some you got some uh, you got some music. Uh, gorgeous song, by the way. We're gonna play a uh, long lost friend uh, for the listeners in, in in a little bit. So, you know, I know you're in that kind of you know, making art, uh, getting the word out there, um, putting things together, beautiful video, you're doing those things. So what's it like right now for you, um, you know, putting out that music, uh, doing that type of thing? How's it feel for you? Well, as of this moment right now, I feel excellent. I'm a little bit fatigued. I'm a little bit uh, almost overstimulated, you know what I mean, with all the positive energy and uh, positive feedback I'm getting. But you know, like, like things are good. The, the response has been excellent. I'm, I'm genuinely bowled over and floored. And just really, I really appreciate how people have taken to it. Because, you know, the thing is, you, you put a lot of work in, and there's a lot of times, um, you know, where doubt creeps in and self-deprecation. And, and moments like these, days like these, as fleeting as they might be, um, they kind of vindicate you. So, uh, you know, as, and look, the pandemic has taught me anything. It's be in the present moment, try to reside in the present moment and appreciate whatever good things come your way. So that's uh, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And 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 and, and uh, I, I got I got to say, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to connect. Right. I'm over here in the States all the way on the West Coast and, uh, you know, been connecting to the art that you make over there. And I think part of the podcast, what's been interesting is maybe to drop in over time into i don't know like a local scene or what local artists are doing or what sounds um uh, that that are out there and i know i know from uh you know artists around the world and i know in 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 ireland there's been particular issues to to work through about access opening creating things and a lot of political controversy around that same same over here um uh what i'm seeing here is that uh, now with you know some uh, levels of vaccine access the thought that things will open up or there'll be some sort of structured kind of uh, music uh, out there is in in ireland right now is there kind of welled up energy around music or how are people feeling about where things are in this stage in the pandemic and performance um you know things were kind of tough for people because we went into a level five lockdown like a serious lockdown just after Christmas, uh, we're still currently in it, and we have a five-kilometer radius, so we're very, very restricted. And then, of course, couple that with the fact that the days have been shorter, less sunlight, bad weather. But there, there has been a communal low, you know, so that that has been a challenge on people. And um, I even found myself at the start of the year, 
just a little bit out of sorts, you know, like usually I'm good at exerting some kind of control over that and reaching yeah. kind of a stable equilibrium. But I think my resilience uh, was just low at the time. So it, it's been rather peculiar. But at the moment, I'm trying to maintain a positive disposition because I'm trying to not look too far into the future and just go, well, well what do I have now? Well, what I have is um, encouraging friends, supporting friends, challenging friends. Uh, my family are good. I'm healthy. I'm productive. I have a, a lust for art, a drive. I don't know exactly where it comes from, but I appreciate that I have it. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to be uh, in the present moment, you know what I mean? And, and, and using this time. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible time for an artist as... Uh, as Charles Bukowski once said, isolation is the gift. Now, a little bit extreme, but I have had time, devoid of distraction, to see to my creative to-do list. Yeah. Hey, and Greg, you, we got a Bukowski quote from you already, so we're already at 100, so we're, <clears throat> we're, everything's gravy right now. We got the Bukowski quote. Hey, um, uh, want to get back, want to get into some of the philosophy. Uh, uh, one, one more thing about the, the music to tell listeners. We got the variety, uh, first variety, something rather than nothing podcast episode and a lot of great music and some from you, Greg. Um, uh, we'll have uh, some local artists in, in, in Portland, so a couple Canadian artists, Ireland. So it'll be a kind of an international music variety show. So listeners, you'll have another crack at getting some of uh, uh, Greg's music. But Greg, let's go back in the way back in the back to the future time machine back to when you were younger. I mean, were you, were you walking around singing in the streets? Were you writing uh, poetry? Were you an artist? What, what what were you like creatively back then? Do you know, I'd say it began for me back in 1987 in my mother's womb. You know, the, my dad, my, my parents were pretty music crazy. So no doubt I was picking up some kind of vibrations. Like literally from day one, I've never known anything other than, uh, you know, interesting sounds and vibrancy in the household. But before I could even walk or talk or function, I was able to actually take a, a record, a vinyl out of a sleeve and put it on the, the turntable. And the two albums I always went to was Harvest Moon by Neil Young and oh. um, Sgt. Pepper's by the Beatles. They were my, my two go-tos. So, like, uh, yeah, just, I was always fascinated with music. I, again, before I could talk or function or do anything, I was picking up squash and tennis rackets and pretending to be playing guitar. Um, yeah, I just, it was, a, it was a very vibrant household to grow up in, where the, any kind of creative or musical leanings or interest that was expressed was very much fostered. Right, right from the get-go so it was kind of I was bitten by the bug and there was no way out you know it was kind of always almost determined shall we say but never but yeah. never forced on me just all very organic yeah it was kind of the 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 environment uh, and thanks for sharing that I'm always I'm always pretty darn fascinated as far as you know the the the, the, the climate that you come out of you mm. know and, and you know you know parents and relatives or you know the aunt uh, or the uncle that's the rock star or like what you attach to as far as as far as art goes um uh, uh, so some uh, i wanted to ask a big big question getting into art uh, because you know i i know you're a heavy hitter uh when it comes to philosophy i know you're a heavy hitter when it comes to music um 
I was wondering what what is what is art? What do you think art is uh, uh, for you? Well, I, I suppose that the definition of it has has evolved and changed for me over the years. But like, as I sit here right now, I, I realize that it, it is very much life. It is very much expression, uh, connection with others. Like on a personal level, it's therapy. It's it's cathartic to write. And um, then say for, for the listener, it offers uh, comfort at times. It offers reinforcement. And it's just an incredible, incredibly powerful thing. I mean, it even helps you to reconnect to the past. I mean, if you think about people who have um, dementia or Alzheimer's, where it can spark memories back and put them in a place. Um, you know, even the other day, I was listening to Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. They have a new album out. A track I didn't know Carnage. they had a new album. Yeah, oh, man, yeah. Nick Cave is just—he's a freak, isn't he? He's just incredibly prolific. But um, yeah. that track, Carnage, uh, it just stopped me in my tracks. I was doing some admin, and it just—I had my headphones on, and I just got lost in it. Very simple song, but the strings and the cinematic choir, like it just—it it actually moved me to tears, which is incredible. There's just such power in music, and uh, aside from the, the kind of the aural pleasure that it gives you. It is also my gateway, or has been anyway, pre-pandemic, into interesting conversations, into new projects, new plans, new people, new countries. So it's just, it is life. Sometimes I feel I almost live vicariously through the entity that is, or the force that is music. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for mentioning the, I, 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 I'm a kind of a Nick Cave freak. I mean, if you like Nick Cave, you end up being a Nick Cave freak. That's um, it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You're fully committed and fully fledged in the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, the birthday party and uh, I, it's good to hear that some, some new music. I find, you know, one of the things about that too is um, one of the things I've been thinking about and actually uh, your new track made me think about it um, and you mentioned Nick Cave. I have deeply attached uh, deeper emotional content of music it just grabs me the emotion like how do you connect emotionally with music and, and it's transformative there's no other art form for me though i practice other art forms and consume a lot that drives into the soul like a song or music does and emotional do you as this is a question i'm really kind of learning from you that comes out in your music and the emotional content is that something you have to, as a songwriter, as a musician, do you have to go in there and be like, try to create that? Or is that just a natural flow coming for you? We're connecting human to human with the emotion uh, that comes through your words. Yeah, I suppose it does vary from artist to artist. But for me, actually, another thing that art is, it's a means of punctuating my day, my weeks, my months, my years. It's a way of documenting my life. And on a you know on a kind of a, a darker or heavier level it is a means of just kind of filling in time giving me some kind of purpose like i would have you know we will we all have existential angst and uh questions and that kind of the, the heaviness of the staring into the abyss and the abyss looking back at you so yeah. a lot of that um uncertainty that i have or anguish i i truly pour into the music into the songs in, into the lyrics you know like there's a I, I can't sing lyrics that don't mean something to me now that's not to say every single song is full-blown autobiographical 
but it is something that that I care about or that I want to express or that maybe on a subconscious level I just want to make sense of at that time of writing you know so um and I like I, I really do give myself over completely to the recording process as well and I don't like to cut corners I am I am a, a grafter at heart like I'm certainly not uh, an innate talent as such or like a, an incredibly gifted child I had musicality and, and good rhythm but I, I had to work hard and I, I still endeavor to work hard and improve you know with each song and each each project yeah I, I you know that theme that theme does come up we haven't developed it a ton in, in in the show but it always comes up about you know the talent and you know the hard work that goes into it and it's it very rarely is an either or right i mean you have a ton of talent but you stuff to work your ass off i mean where you're positioned in society what your access is to recording what the city you live in or if you're in the you know somewhere far away from access so all those issues um all those issues come up um uh, greg what's the art of, what's the role of art right now uh is is art more important now is art less important or is art just art and it doesn't matter whether it's a pandemic or not yes yeah, the thing is i think it changes the importance of art shifts a lot you know what i mean like it depends what art form it is as well and um, like maybe maybe on some level like if to remove the kind of the the higher realm of art, it, it, it also provides entertainment for people. It provides a soundtrack to some people's day. Okay, it could be sometimes a little bit um, disposable because of that, but it provides people with an escape route. It provides people with uh, a gateway into interesting conversations with, with other people. And um, you know, I, I suppose on some level, that's what the art provides now. And maybe it's doing that more so than it was before. Maybe even people might have a heightened appreciation of it when things open back up. Hopefully so. Yeah, what maybe kind of what helps you get through, right? I mean, the people, yeah, that expression, you know, that people look closely connected to music. You know, the, the I've, I saw there's a book or a blog or something, the songs that saved your life, right? Mm. The songs that like you cling on to and, and a lot of artists um, uh, talk about that. And I think the pandemic has been just as much about that for some folks. What is the art that you cling to? Who is the person that you cling to? What is the concept or belief or faith? Um, that you cling to and i've seen artists having a particular role of saying you know screaming out into the microphone this is a fucked up time and other people being like yeah the dude who's screaming into the microphone saying it's a fucked up time that's hitting me or or a lament um and i and i found that helps yeah carry folks through right i've kind of found it a very as i say existential time a very humbling time in which i really realize the transient nature of the world and the impermanence too, you know, uh, and that's not a cause for, you know, great despair and um, nihilism. More so, I kind of use that as quite an empowering thing because that makes me really realize I've got a, a limited amount of time on this planet and I wish to illuminate myself through art and uh, you know, now now in my 30s, in my early 30s, it's like, well, I, I've kind of settled into the person that I am. I'm not trying to defy uh, certain aspects of myself, you know. You know, before in the past, I fixated on what I didn't have and what I wasn't, but I'm trying to change that, that mindset now. 
And because of that, I found myself more content and even more productive now, really. There's a little bit of a, of a, of a freeing in that. And yeah, I know. I mean, as far as, as you develop over time, I mean, I think one of the interesting things for myself is that like formally um, identifying or creating things is really something I look at myself only done for the last uh, three years or so. You know, I started at 45 and 48 now. So like, um, you know, what you need at the time, what you need to do at the time to help process, I found it, it, it for me, it ended up being so powerful of what I needed to say or express that it had to come out through, through, through art. But I didn't anticipate that. I didn't anticipate there'd be like that well back behind me. And I know a lot of people have that in, in kind of in them right now. Uh, in the pandemic, like what's inside of me and how the hell can I get it out? Right. Yeah. Um, Do you know, I, like, I, I'm even, I, I really appreciate that I have the outlet also. Because for some people, like, it can be frustrating when you feel very much in a prison or you feel like you can't express or even articulate. You know, that, that, that can be a challenge. But, um, but I know a lot of people who've been, you know, just getting into to painting and journaling. I think writing is important. And it's not even about having to get it published or performed or anything like that. Just to get it on, on paper can just be so important. It can be just so um, very important for the soul and the mind. Yeah, thank you. Hey, uh, everybody, um, uh, I'm in the, the position right now with uh, Greg Clifford that I have music that I want to play. And anytime I'm a musician on, I can't wait uh, too, too long because I'm like, I got this thing behind me and I want to hear it. So, uh, hey, Greg, we're going to play um, we're going to play the, the your, your new track, uh, Long Lost uh, Friend, and uh, share that with the listeners. Um, beautiful song. We're going to get back and chat about uh, chat about a little bit more about music and philosophy. Um, but right now we've got uh, Long Lost Friend by Greg Clifford. I will be back, I will be back again Oh, a long lost friend I will be back, I will be back again Oh, you see, sometimes in life You need to survive, you need to hold your head high Reach for the sky, you see, sometimes in life You need to get, you need to get away Oh, I had to leave this place I left tonight, I had to break free I didn't indulge in mind but I hope you don't understand, oh, I hope you don't understand That I left you all behind, that's what means to an end Now you're a long lost way And I will be back, I will be back again Ooh. A long lost way And I will be back, I will be back again Ooh. I said now fairly well to you, my friend I give you all the love that I can send Stand, I hope you understand that I left you all behind as a means to an end. You're a 
track brother thank you sir thank you uh beautiful song um and thank you for that um that's the new single right that is yeah that's the fresh single it's uh yeah it's the lead the lead single off the album the the uh the album is called lines lines of desire and uh yeah so that's long lost friend absolutely wonderful hey um one of the things i wanted to uh, wanted to tell you um that is uh an interesting little little story that i'm sharing with uh my irish friends i uh, was looking at my family history and uh you know you do those dna testing and they tell you there's a dna testing your family tree and all this stuff and i yeah. come from uh ah, how shall i put it an American New England working class ethnic mix. Okay. <laughs> and and uh, my last name's Volante, but I got to tell you, predominantly uh, through my family research and DNA, I am more Irish than anything. Wow. So there you have it. Maybe the closer connection, my Irish brother here, Greg Clifford. is. <laughs> That's it. Maybe I'm bringing something out of you. And there's just this gravitational pull that we're powerless to defy. It's like Aristotle said that, you know, the stone wants to go back to the earth. You know, didn't know about gravity. He wants to go back to like where it was before. And uh, I'm, I'm doing my podcast with my, my Irish family. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, for a small country, the Irish really spread themselves. Or some spreaders. I worked in, I, I worked uh, in uh, Boston in um, uh, electrical workers uh, union, and um, I, I had a lot of Irish brother friends in South Boston. It was great. A lot of uh, is that your way of saying a lot of drinking buddies? <laughs> South Boston Irish. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, all right, Greg. Hey, um, uh, another question, uh, kind of a formation question and answer it how you will. Um, what, you know, whether it's art or a thing or, or who uh, has, has made you who you are? Mm. Well, do you know, I truly believe I am the synthesis of every single thing I've ever lived, like every mm -hmm. single conversation 
as important or as inane. Every, you know, good, bad, or indifferent piece of music or film. Now, of course, there's other, you know, there's stronger influences, and they would be most certainly my my dad. He is an innate artist. He was a former performance artist. He used to put on different shows. He had um, a music magazine called the Vox magazine from 1980 to 83. Played in a band, used to put on gigs, did some graphic design. So I was bitten by the bug. Like even at a young age, I used to watch him uh, draw and um, do graphic design and art artwork for T-shirts. He was a printer also, and um, so I always looked up to him. And he was a obviously a self-employed man. So again, it's no surprise that myself and my brother kind of followed that path. And um, musically. The main influences, like the, the major one is the Beatles, and I've always loved their pop sensibilities, but also the rich textures, the rich orchestration, but they, they blended that together so majestically. Um, and then, like, you know, things change. I got into Rory Gallagher, you get into yeah, the, the Doors, the Kinks, flirted with Zeppelin for a bit, Pink Floyd, that, that blew my mind when I first heard Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. But as I, you know, developed more as a person and, and actually developed my mind and my ability to write lyrics, that came away from the music, and that would have been more dipping the toes into literature. So sometime around the age of 18 or 19, I started to attempt the works of Camus and the likes of William Burroughs. Now, I remember reading Junkie by William Burroughs, and I didn't really get it. I wasn't a very good reader. It was I found it quite arduous, actually, to be honest. But I was like, this is an investment. This will stand to me eventually, you know? Eventually, you know, the doors of reception will open. And actually, the doors of reception by Alice Huxley was a fantastic read and was a, yes. a further gateway into just unlocking just different potential, I guess, broadening my horizon of possibility. That's, that's what it was. Potential. You know, exactly, yeah. And then, I suppose, away from literature, um, film, like like movies, they seriously influence me and move me now, possibly even more than than music. And uh, I guess one of my heroes has to be Werner Herzog, the German filmmaker and documentarian. I just love his aesthetic, his unapologetic way. Even in his documentaries, I know he gets criticised, but he blurs. Sometimes he blurs the lines of what's fact and fiction, and he creates a spectacle. I think it was Bells, Bells of Desire. Bells yeah. Well, was that it? Or maybe I'm mixing up titles here, but it was set in Syria or Siberia. And it's just kind of like, you don't know, is it fabrication or is it fact? But it's quite a stunning visual um, project and just production. I, uh, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Herzog, and I, I, it's a little uncanny, our conversation, because I'm actually not even sure which of these uh, artists that I deeply love and enjoy and can go down the rabbit hole to pick on or to pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Herzog, I was just talking to somebody about, uh, I love Herzog's maniacal mind. Yeah. I love, I love the blurring. I love the, you don't know where you are and where the boundary is is you just don't know i'm not saying morally that that's correct i don't mm -hmm. that's not the question that's addressed it's disruptive yeah. and um i found i find his works to be of such intensity 
And, um, you know, I remember the one, I don't know if you've ever seen it, the documentary about his relationship with Klaus Kinski, my best, my best. Yeah. Where Herzog is across the ridge, looking at the hut that Kinski in all his madness and habits and is planning out firebombing and destroying his lead actor. Yeah, yeah. And you listen to him and you think it's real. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, there's a real, oh, there's a real sickness that the man is, uh, he's one of a kind. He, he's madcap. He's a, he's a maverick. Like, um, yeah, I just, just find his work stunning, you know. Uh, as you say, it's very, there's just a real rawness and intensity. And there's imperfections, you know. And it's yeah. very human. And like when you're watching it, like you know, when you watch Fitzcarraldo, you kind of forget yes. that you're watching a film. You kind of go, "Wait a second, there's no special effects here. They made this happen." So almost the art form elevates from just what's being displayed on the screen. But it's the almost the art form of his ability to to weave his way in with situations and an environment. Like he had to befriend the indigenous people of the Amazon to actually help him pull a ship over a mountain with a series of pulley lever systems. Like that is just unheard of. Like, how could you not be moved by that? Again, it's a little bit like the Nick Cave thing. If you watch it or you listen and you go, this isn't for me, you kind of just leave it. But if, you, if it does call out to you, you end up completely immersed in it. My favorite uh, final bit on, on Herzog, and we'll probably do another podcast, maybe we'll dedicate it to him. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, I love the title of his diary of the making of Fitzcarraldo. I actually yes. uh, have it. It's called The Conquest of the Useless. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? Actually, that was a book, one of the tracks on my forthcoming album called Redemption. I really liked the instrumental that I had, but it was getting to like three weeks before I had to go into the studio for the first day of recording. And I didn't have the song finished, but I knew it had great potential. So, I grabbed three books from my collection to try and just trigger some ideas. Uh, one was Exile from the Kingdom, or Exile and the Kingdom. One was from a philosopher called Michael Foley, called The Age of the Absurd. And, and the other one was uh, Conquest of the Useless. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, just, it just triggered me and it just went, well, you've got to do it now. This is it. Just get stuck in. And, yeah, and something came. Actually, a song that I'm very proud of lyrically emerged. Wonderful, wonderful. And I love that background. I'm going to connect with that. It's, it's good. Yeah, the intensity. I hear a lot of the similarity of as far as the intensity of some of the, uh, some of, some of the artists um, that we follow. We have a couple couple more big questions for you, uh, Greg. And, uh, Lay them on me. Lay them on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one is, and, and it's, it's, it's this, this, this large question uh, for artists, and it's a big philosophical question. It's like, why do you create uh you know you, you're looking for immortality are you looking for psychological exegesis what what is it why, why do you why do you go in there and, and and do it all yeah do you know yeah you tipped on something there it's um there could well be and i don't think this is my motive but kind of trying to defy our impermanence possibly trying to kind of, you know, give the fingers up to death. It's like, well, I've left something, I've left my mark. 
my name could still hopefully <laughs> be remembered or, or still influence others down the line. But, you know, it really comes to what is the meaning of life anyway. And the thing is, there is no fundamental meaning of life. Well, on, on, a, on an animalistic level, it's to procreate. But we have, you know, we've risen above, say, that, that base level animal now. You know, we're a brilliant ape. But uh, so I think I have to look at it as a meaning thing. And I realize now that there's no divine meaning as such. Meaning is more a man-made creation and meaning comes from the self. So for me, it's just to chase and respond to whatever calls out to me. You know, like respond to impulse, trust, intuition, whatever illuminates me, illuminates me. I try not to overthink it too much and just do it. Just be engaged in the act of doing. Because that's all I ever really want, is just to be engaged in a discipline. And a lot of times it, it actually keeps the negativity or any kind of lingering depression or worry about the afterlife or the nothingness of afterlife. It keeps that at bay. It keeps me engaged in the present. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, the, I got the big philosophical question coming after this one. And, and for the setup, I want to ask you a kind of a, a, a half-witted American question that I asked Brother Jeff Finan. Okay, so I'm going to half-witted American question, outsider. Are banshees real? Banshees? Well, they can be after a lot of putching. You can start to, you know, right. you hear voices. Yeah, I've, I've experienced a few banshees in my time when I've, uh, when I've succumbed to the delirium tremors. <laughs> <laughs> so, so banshees might as well be real in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we, we, you know, there's horrors that linger in the, in the, in the backgrounds of our mind. And a certain psychology, had, uh, or, when, or when one overdulges, indulges that's you. That's uh, uh, by one of them. I've, I, I shouldn't even have to ask the question. In the past, I met a few banshees. All right, big question. Greg Clifford, uh, Dublin, Ireland. Why is there something rather than nothing? Ooh. Well, do you know what? I suppose it depends on the frame of reference, because even to say if there was nothing... That's still a state of somethingness, isn't it? You know, yeah. Like, how, what, how does one imagine nothing? Is it something that's transparent? Is it something that's white? Is it something that's empty and large and vast? It's very difficult to get outside of our frame of reference, our very myopic frame of reference, actually. And it, that's that can be scary. To to, uh, to think about that, like I remember getting hit with that, that that kind of idea of like what comes next, and wait, my parents are going to be gone. Like like I mean, like we all do, but it hit me sometime around the age of six. I just remember crying for days. I was like, this is terrifying. I was like, everything is so large and I'm so small in the world. But um, look, I, I take some comfort in the fact that I didn't know what it was like to not exist or to not be tangibly in the the world so i believe that I'll, I'll be okay when i'm not in this tangible realm as well because i probably just don't know about it <laughs> you know so you why is it something rather than nothing well i guess you know, <laughs> you know the easy thing is like i suppose there has to be something like it's even like why do you why do one's art in the first place um 
So I think it goes beyond my puny mind. But uh, I do find it interesting because I'm sure, you know, the, the notions of the afterlife that we have, and I would never knock religion for the comfort that it gives people. I would, I would certainly knock religion for how it's been enforced on people and the suppression of the individual over the years. But, um, you know, it does, it does offer comfort to people. But it's still, again, within our man-made frame of reference. Like, there, there, I'm sure there is things that are vast and that go way, way, way beyond our comprehension. But, uh, I mean, within that, you got to think, like, there is no great truth that we're necessarily privy to, or I don't believe there is. So, again, it sounds a little bit kind of wild and a little bit nihilistic, but I, I kind of take strength and empowerment from that, that it's like, well, one's way is just a way among me. The things may, patterns form, patterns have to form, you know, and so, you know, they're imagined orders, money, monogamy, capitalism, religion, it's all man-made, man-altered. Now we're getting there. <laughs> now we're getting there. <laughs> But I think, you know, you're hitting me, uh, you're, you're coaxing me into a stream of consciousness here, KB. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, as things are now, again, just not being able to look too far into the future, like eventually things will blow over and there'll be vaccines and there'll be gigs and there'll be traveling and the, com the communion of a gig and an audience can blossom again. But as I say, I have to just be fixated in the present moment. So there's something very grounded about us all and me now. I, I don't have that Descartes, Cartesian mindset of, you know, a body and the mind in, in the world. Not at the moment anyway. Well, unless you get a little bit of encouragement from uh, whatever. Uh, yeah. Narcotics along the way. <laughs> the, the, well, the, there's the, um, like, uh, the, you know, subject-object duality. And one of the things we talked about, like, in something rather than nothing, is like, you know, there's this, like, kind of Western duality. I've tried to mm. infuse and, and, and just think about, like, Eastern Eastern religions in, you know, some of our Western constructs. And I find it to be fertile area, uh, in particular for artists. And, you know, philosophers and thinkers like yourself and, you know, musicians, I mean, you're, you're thinkers. You're creating things. You're putting things out there. You're making a guess on the big question. Otherwise, you wouldn't bother. I mean, you wouldn't bother with any of that stuff. Um, we're going to, uh, uh, listeners, we're going to be hearing, uh, again, Greg Clifford in the Music Variety Show uh, uh, coming up. Uh, very, ex very, very excited about that. Um, Greg, but uh, before we let you go, I want uh, I, I really want all the listeners to be able to connect with your music, uh, the video, how you produce things. Where do they go uh, to, to find you? I know you're pretty accessible. Can you can you lead uh, the listeners to where they need to look? Yeah, um, I suppose the best landing point would be Instagram. So it's very simply just Instagram dot uh, com forward slash Greg Clifford Music. G-R-E-G, C-L-I-F-F-O-R-D, music spelled the correct way. So that's easy enough. Um, Facebook, I'm, I'm the same. I'm Greg Clifford Music. There is a gregcliffordmusic.com. I have a number of videos throughout the, the years up on, up on my YouTube. I'm obviously on Spotify as well. But there is another Greg Clifford in the world who is almost like the evil Greg Clifford. He's the antithesis of this one. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's very easy to see. You know, you can, you can, when you see a picture of me on my Spotify artist ID, 
uh, you'll know it's me. It's just funny. There's another Greg Clifford out there. He doesn't produce music anymore, it would seem. And uh, as I said, like I, I say, it kind of in a facetious way, the um, the antithesis. But he he's like it's it's dance music, and there's a like he has an album called Demonic Souls. That wouldn't really be my bag, you know. But, uh, <laughs> It's very funny. I was doing a, a landscaping, a landscaping gardening job one time, let's say about five or six years ago, and uh, the young guy, there was a you know an eight-year-old, nine-year-old in in the house, and he was telling me that he was really into music. I was like, oh, that's fantastic that you, you're you know you're into that and do you play or what do you listen to? So he was telling me he's into you know Harry Potter soundtracks, and I was like, oh, check me out on, on, on Spotify, Greg Clifford, and come back to me tomorrow and tell me what song you like. So then he comes yeah. out to me and he goes, oh, I found you. And he shows me his tablet. And he's like, I love this song, Demonic Souls. And I was like, what's Demonic Souls? I was like, yeah, you must. That's, that doesn't sound like me. I looked at it and he had found the, different, the other Greg Clifford. So his favorite Greg Clifford song wasn't even from this one. He liked the other Greg Clifford. He liked the other Greg Clifford. It's like in Twin Peaks. It's uh, not knowing the other Greg Clifford, you know, um, you know, respect to whatever's going on there. But yeah. it's like Twin Peaks. It's like, uh, you know, the the Dale Cooper in the one lodge and you get the other Dale Cooper running around between the, the you know, the universes and the doppelgangers and, and topas. And I, I think know, man. Maybe there's just a glitch in the system. Look, I'll, I'll tell you another quick one. This And this one is even crazier. I released... Brontide and a music video for Brontide in around November, and uh, I, I, I posted it privately, you know, uh, not publicly on YouTube, just to test it out and see was it okay. So I did an incognito search to make sure it wasn't for public consumption, and then I saw Greg Clifford Brontide pop up, and I was like, "What's Beatcore?" Clicked on it. It turns out this other Greg Clifford, back in February of whatever, 2013, had already released a song called Brontide. Now, that blew my mind. Now, that blew my mind because right. the word Brontide is, you know, that's not commonplace. It's the, uh, it you got to Google it. you got to Google it. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those kind of words. So I was thinking, that's a, I've got a good thing going here. So I'm not even the first Greg Clifford to release Brontide. Now, that blew my mind. What's Brontide meet again? It's the sound of distant thunder. And um, it's actually seismic oh. activity, but it's like a low rumble. So for me, that's uh, yeah. it represents kind of impending doom and gloom or some kind of tragedy, which is the case with, with that song then, because the song is about fading memories, not being able to get access to your memories. It alludes to dementia. Um, so, yeah. Incredible. So there's two Greg Clifford Brontides. One is one is yours, and the low rumbling, yeah. the low rumbling of, of of thunder, right? Yeah, and you know it's it's almost heartbreaking seeing. That. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I have to laugh at it, but it's almost like he wasted such a beautiful word because the the song or the the piece just goes do 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 do. It's the void of melody. It's the void of you know a display of musicality. It's just a waste of a word, but it's a decent anecdote for me. It's a decent anecdote for me, and that's what the that's what the artist needs. Um, uh, Greg, it's um, it's been a great pleasure uh, to chat with you. I got to tell you, you know, uh, you know, personally um, excited, you know, to hear the song and, uh, and and see the video, and also, um, you know, just me trying to uh, with the with the music variety episode, something new, something to kind of create a little community, a little bit of. Uh, 
a, a mix of musical styles uh, from from around the world. And I'm very uh, happy and 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 just pleased to have your contributions to that, but also to have spent the time with with you here today. Um, I know we share a lot of um, maybe uh, ways of looking at the world or artists that we see the world through. And uh, I, I really appreciate uh, and, and really enjoy spending the time with you. And um, just really thanks for coming on, brother. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Honestly, I didn't see the time go by there. We could chat all day. We can. This is this is this is part one because I know we got like Bukowski, Burroughs, Nick Cave, Werner Herzog, and others that we still got to cover. We did pretty good on Herzog. We we'll, did okay. we'll, That's a good kind of overview. Um, but that you know, like, I'm even I'm working on a novel at the moment. I didn't even get to address that. Well, address it. Address it now. We need to know what you'd like one. to okay. hear about it. The book is. It's about my time performing and touring in Switzerland with a parody trad rock Irish band. And it's about the, the trials and tribulations and the, the roguish behavior or whatever. It's um, a fusion of fact, fiction and fabrication. And uh, it's, it's in quite a, well, I'm trying to kind of base it on a, a you know, Bukowski, Hunter S. Thompson, kind of Jim Carroll, Basketball Diaries way in that. Yeah. I wouldn't be, it doesn't appeal to me to write something like a Mark Twain, you know. Uh, yeah. But for me, I, I like that gritty, um, the gritty literature. I like colloquialisms. I like short, sharp sentences. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a great it's a it's a hell of an undertaking. But uh, it's entitled "The Diary Entries of a Somewhat Degenerate." I love it. I love it. And uh, huge Hunter S. Thompson fan. I love his political analysis. Um, oh, love yeah. his. Love, yeah. love his style. Oh, and of course, um, sorry, with the style, Ken, um, I like that there's that blurring of the lines of, is this actually a, a life that they lived told through their, their alter ego? You know, the way Bukowski has Henry Chinaski and uh, Thompson has uh, Rel Duke, isn't it? Well, my alter ego is Paudian O'Rafferty, which is a very, you know, cliched Irish kind of name. I've so heard about that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's quite interesting. Again, it kind of alludes to that duality and um, indulge in your fantasies and indulge in your wilder side. Like I used to really pretend that I was partying, that I was, um, that Greg Clifford had rented the body out to this folk spirit demon, you know? It was just a, a drunken haze and a, kind of a, a joke that just grew legs. But, there was some kind of energy or some kind of force and it was a it was a hell of a time hell of a ride and i just felt i've always wanted to write a book write a novel and i was like well i have i have a subject here i have something that's relatively authentic in a world where it's hard to really grab hold of original ideas yeah thank you well thanks for sharing that and uh obviously when it comes to the, you know, art sharing, you know, community with the podcast, uh, certainly, you know, check back in and wrap around with you. And probably the next time we chat, when we cover all those other artists, we can get more uh, in, in, into the novel and, and lyricism. Um, thanks, Greg. It's, uh, it's, it's great to see you. It's great to hear um, uh, your voice and um, many thanks. This is something rather than nothing. 